Welcome to Masterclass, a collaboration between the virtual world diplomacy community and Brother Board's Diplomacy Dojo. The host for this week's episode is Chris Brand. Chris Brand is a former world champion and has the jacket to prove it. Chris also hosts Cascadia, which is an annual diplomacy event in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The discussion today, uh, Chris Brand is the 2016 World Diplomacy Champion, and he has agreed to talk on the subject of rallying the board. So hopefully he has some interesting things to say, and hopefully you all have some interesting questions to spark a good discussion. Uh, thank you, Chris, for doing that. So rallying the board. So I've been thinking about rallying the board for a couple of weeks now since uh, Natty asked me to run this. It's an interesting subject. So first of all, I want to establish exactly what is included and what I think, well, what I feel is included and what I feel isn't included. So a, a nice broad one sentence definition, get everyone else on board with a single course of action. Um, well, almost everyone on board, because presumably there's going to be one person at least who you're not worrying about because they are the leader if it's if it's a stop the leader type rallying the board um it wouldn't have to be a, a stop the leader but that's probably the most general case like uh, you think someone is going to solo so you need to pull everyone else together to say hey we need to do something we're going to be in in big pro you know we're going to concede a solo to to this person um there are other situations where you might want to rally the board, I think. We'll get into some of those a little bit later. So it's a special case of the more general persuade someone. Um, obviously, you have to persuade people to your point of view. Um, in this case, you have to persuade multiple people. I think that's the key difference. So I'm going to try. I would prefer not to focus so much on the how do you persuade somebody and more on what makes it special that we're rallying the whole board and trying to persuade multiple people, what's different about that situation. It's quite likely that the stakes are higher than the general uh, persuade someone case. This is often the situation where you're worried about someone soloing. So if you fail to rally the board, then someone's going to win the game and it's not going to be you, and that's bad, right? <laughs> Whereas if you're like, trying to convince Germany that you should do a sea lion and it doesn't work, well, that's okay. I'll just ally with England and we'll kill Germany instead. You know, you've got other options. In this case, it might be a, you know, if we don't rally the board at this point and stop this person, then we're going to lose this game. So that's higher stakes. Also worth noting that, the, of course, this is diplomacy. So, <clears throat> so the threat might not actually be real. You might be trying to convince someone that there's a solo threat when in actual fact it's you don't think there is a viable solo threat there but you want everyone to work together against one person and convincing them that there's a th solo threat is the best way to do that so of course with all diplomacy there's there could be high, more levels to this and one thing that i think is particularly tricky in rallying the board is that um if you're the first person to raise the alarm about something, that probably indicates that you're a person with one of the, you're one of the people with the best reads of the board. And that might also mean that you're perceived as being a bigger threat yourself or more manipulative yourself. So it's very easy for other people to say, oh, they're just, they're just trying to manipulate us. This is actually their own self-interest. This isn't really something we need to worry about. Um, so that so that I think works. That makes it harder than the general case of persuading someone. Does all that make sense to anyone? Is it, does any of that not make sense? So rallying the board. What do you need to do? Um, some of this does overlap with the um, with the persuade someone stuff, but I think particularly important are what I've labelled sincerity and veracity. So. Sincerity, convince people that you are actually sincere, that you actually mean it, that you do feel threatened, um, but that you are willing to do what it takes, assuming that we're talking again about the solo threat situation. Um, and veracity is about convincing people that the threat is actually real. You know, you might be sincere, you might sincerely think that someone can solo from this position, but you might be wrong. 
So you have to convince people that you are also, you don't just believe it, but you are actually correct as well. Um, and there's more things than that, but those are an essential two things that you have to be able to convince people of. Because if they don't think that you're sincere, um, then, you know, if you come to me and say, you need to do this to stop this person soloing, but I don't think that you're going to do what your part, then I'm not going to do it anyway. And if you can't convince me that there is actually a solo threat that I need to stop, then maybe I'm not going to be as worried about it. So it's important to note that there are different levels of threat perception. This ties back with what I said earlier that someone is going to notice first. Um, I've noticed in a lot of uh, particularly gunboat games, when someone, people aren't worried about people when they're on sort of 10 or 11 centers, but if you start to get more than 11, you start to get to the 12, 14 range, then you will often see spontaneously everyone on the board in a gunboat game will decide, oh, we need to stop this person because they've got to 12, they've got to 14. Um, I find that quite interesting because it, I think a lot of people do just look at numbers rather than position. And I've seen, you know, 14 center powers that aren't really a solo threat and you can also see sort of 10 center powers that really are a solo threat just because of the position or the balance of units and that sort of thing. So uh, different people perceive the, the amount of threat differently. Um, and some people, particularly newer players, they're very focused on their narrow part of the board, their immediate neighbors. And to bring their attention to something that's happening on the other side of the board or a, a distant from them is a tricky thing to do. Um, it's obviously easier to convince people that there's a solo threat if there's a single board leader. If two people both get to 12 at the same time, is there less of a solo threat there? Maybe, I don't know. Um, and I wonder if it's harder if you're in second place. If you're the person who stands to benefit from stopping the leader, stands to benefit most from stopping the leader, I guess. If you're in second place, I suspect it's a, a harder sell in that case. Um, coordination is kind of a separate issue. You've still got to actually put the moves together to achieve what you want to achieve. Um, but I feel like rallying is more in it, the, the rallying thing is more interesting on the persuading side than the coordination side. You can look up what you have to do to form a stalemate line and where the stalemate lines are and things like that. And I think Adam talked about that a few weeks ago much better than I probably will. One of the things I did note here is that you really want to make it feel collaborative. Um, I think it's going to be far more effective if everyone feels that this is, uh, I'm working as part of a team and I'm an equal member of this team versus, oh, I'm doing what Chris told me because he's a smart guy and knows how to stop this solo. And so I'll, I'll let him write my orders for me, basically, and I'll put the orders that he tells me to do. Um, that's a, a tricky thing to achieve, but I think it's a, a useful thing to have in the back of your mind when you're doing this. But when you're putting those orders in, you, you want to try, obviously, you're the smart person who knows what orders need to go in, but you need to try and get other people to come up with those orders rather than telling them what they are so that they feel like they're part of the team. You need to listen to suggestions and make people feel like their ideas are being taken seriously, even if they're stupid ideas, right? Um, get, it's all a mindset thing. It's about getting people on board and getting people brought into it. Uh, what else have I got written down here for this section? Yeah, I'm not going to, I'll, I'll skip that to that. Okay. Um, time for a war story. I think this is, this is a little bit, uh, so this is my first world championship, actually Vancouver WDC, uh, in 2007 in round four. Vancouver WDC had some, I think, was it six rounds or something like that? So round four, we're at like the second half of this tournament. Um, and back in 2007, I was just getting the hang of um, playing the people rather than just looking at the pieces. So I was getting to know, I, I knew some of the players, some of the people who played commonly, particularly on the West Coast. Um, and I was starting to get the feel for what a board would look, how a board might evolve based on who's playing what powers, that sort of thing. And I went to this particular board and 
I was Germany and uh, in Turkey was Eric Mead, who was very good at the time. He's, uh, he hasn't played much in the last few years. Back in 2007, he, he, was, he was a good, very good player. Um, and I looked at this board and I looked at the other powers in the East and I'm like, Eric's going to have a really easy time of this board in the East. He's going to be able to manipulate those people and take advantage of it. And this is going to be a very big turkey very quickly. And I spoke to the person playing England, and he agreed. And basically, we decided that we needed to stop Turkey. And this is like spring 1901 negotiations, was we need to, if we don't work very hard, we, Turkey is going to roll this board, and he's going to solo on us before we've even got going. Um, this is a very tough sell to France in spring 1901. France was someone I didn't know. None, none of us knew. I think he was a Calgary player. Um, <laughs> and you try and go to France in spring 1901 and say, you really need to be worried about Turkey because he's going to solo this board if we don't stop him. And I don't know how you sell that. I couldn't do it anyway. So in the end, what, we, what it came down to was an England-Germany alliance. We killed France as quickly as we could in order to get to the line. And uh, I pulled the board up this morning. What did we stop him at? I think we, it, it did work out more or less as I, as I expected. And we stopped um, Eric on 16, I think, 15 centers. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's that board. That's right. I was on nine. England, Germany on nine each. Turkey on 15. Italy surviving on one. Um, so I was, I was quite pleased that my prediction panned out. Um, so, but the, the point I want to make from that game is uh, that you won't, you won't necessarily be able to convince everyone and your fallback plan is probably going to be to kill the person who um, you can't convince. You might be able to contain them, but probably you haven't got the units spare. You probably need those dots and those units that you would otherwise um, be devoting to containing that person and keeping them under control. So you've got to be able to identify who those people are that you just can't convince. Um, and of course, there's also the, the fact that that threat that, you know, oh, if you don't help out, we're going to have to kill you, is probably a viable threat. Maybe that convinces them to be, be on board, but they're going to be reluctant there. It's not going to be as good for sure. But sometimes you might need to kill someone in order to uh, stop someone else from soloing. Um, the big advantage of a rally the board situation is that you're, once you've convinced the second person, then you're not alone anymore. You've got two people then working to convince everyone else who's surviving. And then when you've got a third person, you've got three people convinced that working to convince the other two people or whatever. So um, you can definitely work on that building that momentum. Once you've convinced one person that this is the case, you've got to be a little bit careful that um, you've got the same message from everyone and that, you, that you've got the right people, basically. You, you don't want to put someone off or um, the, the general sort of persuasion things where um, you could be trying to convince someone of something and end up reinforcing their existing position you don't want your second person who you've convinced to be effectively undermining you, even though they're not deliberately doing it. I don't know how you manage that, but <laughs> if anyone has any idea, because you can't really be party to their negotiations most of the time. What would be an example of that second person undermining you? Um, I, I'm not thinking of deliberately undermining, but you know how sometimes when you try and convince someone of something, um, instead they sort of dig their heels in and, you're you're effectively working against your own interests um because you've got the wrong kind of appeal to that person so um oh let me think um like if i take a very abstract approach to a very strategic level approach to someone who's a very tactical person or someone who's very narrowly focused that might actually turn them away from me and make them less inclined to listen to me because I'm not approaching from more their point of view of the board. Does that make any kind of sense, Natty? Yes, it does. That uh, some players are, are put off by certain messages and you've got to make sure that, that you're 
working uh, diplomatically in the same manner so that one of you isn't undermining. Yeah, exactly. So, so I'm assuming that in this situation, you're really good at, at persuading individual people, right? But the second person who you, the, who you manage to convince, who is then trying to also sell your message, they might not be as good at that kind of thing, and they might inadvertently sabotage you. Um, but then you probably don't want to be in this situation where you say, hey, listen, just don't talk to France because you're not helping you. <laughs> but maybe that'll work. I don't know. Um, okay, so sincerity. How do, you, how do you help convince people that you are sincere about this? Um, one of the key things, I think, is to show everyone else that you've got a very narrow focus, particularly if you are trying to convince people that you are sincere, that you think there's someone going to solo if you don't do something about it, that should override any other consideration, right? So you've got to show everyone that, yeah, you know, we could be talking about who takes Munich or whatever. It doesn't matter. The important thing is we need to get a friendly army into Munich. It doesn't matter whose army it is. We need a friendly army in Munich and we need three other armies to support it or otherwise Turkey's going to solo, right? So that narrow focus of, you know, if we don't do X, then bad things are going to happen, can help convince people of sincerity. You know, in this, in that example that I just gave, I don't care whether, I'm not asking you to put me into Munich. It might work out that the best army to put into Munich is mine, but I'm just saying we need a friendly army in Munich and let's make it yours. You know, that helps come across as sincerity. Expressing a willingness to give other people the spoils like if you have to take particular centers, let's put you in there because it shows my sincerity. You know, I don't, as long as one of us is in there, that's the important thing. It doesn't have to be me. Um, maybe I'm even willing to make sacrifices. You know, you, you need, we need a fleet over there. Take Smyrna from me so that you can build a fleet in Rome. Yeah. That sort of thing will help convince people that you are sincere about this. That this is really the, the number one thing that matters and everything else is subordinate. It doesn't matter if I'm giving up three dots because if we lose to a solo, then my, I'm losing all my dots effectively anyway. So I'm fine with giving up three dots in order to stop this solo. That, will, that should help convince people that you're sincere about the, this threat and that uh, you are willing to do what, whatever it takes to, to uh, go along with it. Um, and this is probably a good point to mention that uh, there's a mindset thing. You can, you can promise and offer things to, to get people on side. And then later on, you can convince them that in actual fact, it's best if, I'm the, if it's my army that's in Munich rather than your army just because of the tactics of the situation. You know, so... I can go up front with the message of we need to get a friendly army in Munich. Uh, I don't care whether it's mine or yours, but the important thing is we, we do that. Once the other person has come back with, yes, okay, you're right. Turkey is a solo threat. We do need to get an army into Munich. Then you can maybe move to, so looking at the tactics, we could put this army in, we could put that army in, this support can be cut. Oh, it's actually better if it's my army rather than your army. They're already in the mindset of, I'm, a, I'm working on a team with you and we need to get a friendly army into Munich. And they're then going to be more receptive to the idea that it should be your army rather than their army, right? So you can sort of um, promise more, if you like, up front. And the same thing with maybe I'm willing to sacrifice some centers, right? Yeah, if we need to you to build some units on the front line, you can take some of my dots and we'll we'll arrange that. And then later when it comes down to it, well, actually, you know, it's just as quick to move my fleet up forwards rather than give you the dot and have you take that. But they're already on, you've already done the convincing, putting them in the emotional positions of being on your side and working towards stopping the solo. So you can overpromise on the sincerity side to some extent. Um, it, <laughs> the sincerity doesn't have to necessarily be sincere. You just have to convince other people you're sincere. Does that make sense to people? Is that way too... <laughs> yes, it makes sense to me. So the other, the other key word I mentioned was veracity. Um, this is about making people believe that the threat is actually real or that the situation is actually real. Um, 
this comes back to something I, I touched on briefly about different players um, approach the board in different ways and see the board differently. You have to very much talk to um, the level of understanding of that player. If you've got a player who's narrowly focused on their immediate vicinity, then you're going to want to point out which of those immediate um, supply centers near them are actually under threat. They're going to be much less interested in, uh, oh, yeah, Turkey can pick up six centers from France if they're playing Russia. They're going to be far more interested in, look, here's how they take some pizza, here's how they take Sevastopol from you, or here's how they take Moscow from you. Um, if you've got someone who's much more um, strategically focused, who sees the board as a whole, then you can talk, you know, about the stalemate line and say, well, they've already across the stalemate line at this point. Some people that doesn't mean anything to to you. If I if I go to a, a player who's very narrowly focused on their arena and I say, look, Italy's already got a fleet up in the mid Atlantic. They're already across the stalemate line they're going to be like, so what? That's on the other side of the board. I don't care about that. I'm Russia, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got to talk, approach different players in a different... I mean, this comes back to, the, to an extent, this is a general persuasion, but you've got to approach people in the right way, show them the part of the threat that matters to them and that, that is going to be, appeal to their, um, their mindset, their picture of the board. Um, start from the points of agreement. It's always best when you're trying to convince someone of something to show where your show where your thinking aligns to start with. So um, maybe that's uh, okay. How are you going to hold Sevastopol from uh, against Germany at this point? You know, you've got a support, but they can cut that, and so you know you have to show them that Sevastopol is going to fall. Maybe, but. Initially, you, you, you start from the, the points of agreement and then you can work into the, so you see that once they've taken Sevastopol, then they can take Romania and then they can take uh, Serbia and eventually, you know, that puts them on 16 and then they've got probably a couple of dots in France they can take as well, right? And because you're starting from that focus of Sevastopol where they can see where they're writing the orders to try and defend it, they can see that, oh yeah, okay, I can't hold Sevastopol. Festival. And therefore, the rest of the stuff follows. And therefore, oh, yeah, this is a throwaway. I do have to go along with this. Um, and again, this is where once you've convinced another person that there is a, a something that you really, a, a real threat here, this is where your um, momentum thing and team effort thing can come on. You can, you can have meetings where three of you go onto the, the holdout and say, hey, look, we're all we're all convinced that this is the case. We're all here to say, if we don't stop this, then we're all going to lose this game. And we're all committed to doing something about it. Yeah, I think the key thing there is to uh, to find out, find the individual player's mindset and what their picture of the game as it stands is. And then to work from that point of view even if it's wrong, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. If it's that, if it's the picture they have, maybe you have to first fix a mistake. You know, if they say, "Well, I can hold Moscow in forever," and you have to actually talk them through, "Well, actually, no, you can't because this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and then you lose Moscow." Um, but you have to start from that, from their mindset, rather than from your mindset. Chris, I think one of the one of the questions I'd written down fits in well here, and that's when do you do this negotiation one on one, and when do you do it in a big group with three or four people? Um, I think sometimes there's mm -hmm. a, a a rush to all get together, and I think that can create a positive group mindset sometimes, but at other times it keeps um, the people pushing for the rally. To, from, a, from fully understanding the uh, mindset of each other individual. I've had um, these things fall apart because, um, you know, maybe one person grabbed everyone and started dictating this and nobody wanted to seem like the outlier, right? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a really good point. And I, I don't think there's one answer to it. Um, I think it's very much a question of, because um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You can have a situation where, 
three people go in to talk to one person and convince them of something and it feels just like bullying and the person gets more resistant to it because there's three people there or or because the approach is wrong you know um so you do really need to look at what look at definitely look at each person as an individual and look at um you know what's their mindset how are they seeing the board what does it take to convince this one person to come on board and that's going to be different to the next person and the next person and the next person so but then there's also the time factor right if you've got 15 minutes to convince four people that you need to get to come together and work together to stop the thing then you probably haven't got time to sit down with each individual one and talk them through the whole factors that mean that that will actually convince them so yeah it it's not an easy there's not a, an easy answer to it but it is something you have to manage and maybe if the group you know if you've got those two people convinced you say um look i think maybe i think i can get this person on board if i approach them individually first and then i'll bring you guys in to support that at the right time or you know if i find that it's not working i'll bring you guys in because you know at that point it doesn't really matter if i'm failing anyway then we might as well try something different um but yeah you've got to you've got to look at people's motivations and the reaction to a group um when a group comes to you and tries to convince you of something different people will innately react to that differently right some people will feel threatened straight away just the fact that oh there's two people coming to me or three people coming to me together some people's immediate reaction will be put the walls up and I've, i'm worried here because obviously these people are working together and i don't they might not have my best interests at heart right they probably don't this is diplomacy um other people are more sort of group minded and if they see there's a group of three people and just the fact that these three people are coming to you together with the, their natural inclination would be oh, i want to be in that group yeah i'm i'm a i'm a naturally a, a sort of a group person and I, I want to be on that uh tribe right i want to join that tribe because it's it looks like you know there's three people together i can be the fourth this is good um so some people approaching in a group will work well some people it won't um it all comes down to what's the best what mindset is that person in and what kind of person are they uh, hopefully by the time there's a solo threat you've had some time to get to know all these people even though they're on the other side of the board you've been talking to them just because you need to know you might need to know whether they're a, a team player or whether they're an individualist later on in order to, when it comes to this situation where you need to rally the board together uh, it's what it is one of the main reasons why you need to be talking to everyone all along is just to get that feel for what kind of person are they how do they view the board um all that kind of stuff anyone else have any thoughts on on the individual versus group type approaches okay does it ever concern you um that you are tipping off the solo threat person when everyone else is talking say there's uh five five players against one does it, mm. does it worry you to have five people together leaving the solo threat all alone? <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. Um, I think that that probably comes down to how genuine the solo threat is. Um, I mean, if if it really is something where you think they can solo, then this is that same thing where it doesn't matter what you what information you give them or anything because you know if you don't get all these five people together working to the same ends then they're going to solo and the game's over anyway right so who cares if they know that we're all working together against them you know <laughs> yeah. um it, the tricky situation is if it's not as clear or, or maybe the person who's on 12 hasn't realized that there are six more dots that they can take if if everyone else isn't careful you know you might actually give that away um so yeah there there are always considerations of of how do other people perceive the negotiations that are going on um i think from my point of view if i'm the one person and i see 
five people off in a group together. Um, it's generally not a surprise to me, um, but if I don't think I've got a solo, a solo opportunity at that point, then I'm definitely going to change the way I negotiate with other people as a result of seeing that there's those discussions going on. That makes sense. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, okay. Obstacles. I, I think this is. There are some very definite. Um, when I've been in this situation of saying, "Hey, everyone, we need to get together and do this," there are some very specific things that reactions that you get where people basically say no because right um the first thing i wrote down is um existing alliance and entities so even in diplomacy a lot of people very much some people are definitely alliance players right I, i'm working with I, from the start i i got on with joe over in the in my neighbor there we've been playing well together yeah, he's been growing more than I have, but I, I still like them. You know, he, they're a nice guy. Yeah, they've now got 14 centers and I've only got 10, but that's okay because we're, we're still working well together. And I don't believe he'll stab me. You've got that existing alliance situation and that can be very, very hard to overcome. You've, you've really got to... Um, because you've got to convince someone that their assessment of someone else's personality is wrong, despite the fact that they've been working with them for the whole, board, whole game up to that point. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably one of the most difficult things is to convince someone that yeah, your two-way alliance is great, but the other person's going to stab you. Or maybe it's sufficient to point out that the other person can, if they do stab you, then they're going to solo. Um, honestly, not sure that I've got the answer to that one, but it's definitely a, a very difficult thing to deal with. Maybe, maybe you need to deal with it much earlier, much before, well before they get to 14 and maybe when they're still on 10, but they're growing bigger. You just need to sow those seeds of doubt as to, hey, how come whenever you guys pick up two centers, you know, well, whenever you guys pick up three centers, two goes to the other guy and one goes to you. You know, is this really the way yeah, is this really fair? Are you actually getting what you should be getting out of this alliance? Um, and almost as bad are, or possibly worse, I don't know, are existing enmities. So if two people have been fighting for the whole game, it can be very, very difficult to get them to uh, get one of them to work together or get those two to work together or, or get one of them to decide that they have to leave that fight in order to do something more important. Because you get that that same emotional investment in I've got it, I you know, we've been fighting the whole game. I I don't want them to win. If I move my units to fight the other person, then I'm gonna, you know, they're just gonna keep going. I don't trust them because they're a horrible person and they're just evil, you know. <laughs> Very hard to overcome that as well. Comes down to emotional investment. Uh, so the kind of reactions you get might be. One of the tricky ones is I don't care. Yeah, this is the very often the um, my my game has been screwed up from the start when you know England and France piled in on me from the start. My game is messed up. Messed up. Why should I care if uh, Turkey takes uh, Munich and Berlin and solos? You know, it'll it'll serve England and France right. Slightly different is the mentality of. Uh, well, yes, they are a solo threat. I agree with that. But, you know, they've played a really good game here and they kind of deserve the solo because, you know, all the rest of you guys have been messing around and I've been trying to hold them back and, and no one's been working with me up to now. So why should I, you know, they, they deserve the solo. I've decided if you guys weren't going to stop them a year ago, now I'm going to help them solo because, you know, you guys didn't do anything about it when it mattered. The other one that's kind of tricky is when people have different goals um i've actually i've come across players who have a mentality of um i don't care if someone else gets 18 because i'm i'm going to have 11 and i'm going to be second <laughs> some people actually feel that uh, coming second to a solo is is okay 
um, you're going to have difficulty rallying those people into uh, stopping a solo for sure. Um, these are all emotional type things. They're, they're, I mean, persuasion, a lot, most of it comes down to emotional investment. We're not logical creatures, however much we might like to think we are. We're emotional creatures. And when we, we work the logic out so that it backs up our emotional uh, decisions most of the time. Um, so you've really got to work very hard to convince people that their emotions are wrong. <laughs> The other one I've got written here for an obstacle is um, the resignation thing. Oh, oh, it's too late. You know, they've already got 16. We can't stop them now anyway, so there's no point in trying. Um, here, you, at least half your work is done. They're, they are convinced that the threat is real. What they're not convinced about is that you can actually stop it. So you have to then work them through that side and say, you know, but we can still hold marseille or whatever it might be you know or we or if we get if we get lucky for a couple of turns we can bring up that extra unit that we need and then we can hold marseille maybe it's that kind of situation and you have to then probably walk them through the detail they've already convinced that the solo threat is real um what you have to convince them is that it's not inevitable that you can actually still do something about it um some people will be willing to um to try to stop it, even if they feel that it's probably not going to work because the stopping the solo is really important. Um, and other people will be less invested in that and will actually, um, and if they see that there is a path to the solo where, you know, if the soloer gets lucky in a couple of places or, or if, something happens too slowly, then they will solo, then they're going to be less invested in actually stopping. Uh, so all emotional stuff. Um, and this is where you want me to say, and here's how you overcome all that stuff. And <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really difficult. <laughs> uh, because it's emotional stuff. I say a lot of it is preventative. You really have to, um, the existing alliance stuff, you want to make sure that you're sowing the seeds of doubt in those strong two-way alliances from really early on. Um, where there's a long-standing enmity, you want to make sure that at least both of the both of the foes see you as a friend, so that then maybe you can approach both of them individually and say, "Yeah, I know you hate Joe, but you like me, right?" And I'm coming to you and saying, "You know, you don't obviously say it in those words, but this is the the message that you're trying to send." Yeah. And then you can go to Joe at the same time and say, yeah, I know you hate Fred, but but this is me you're talking to. And you're, you're not just screwing Fred over, you're screwing me over and you like me, right? You know? <laughs> so again, uh, emotional, uh, emotions overcome emotions. So you're looking for that, um, that bigger emotional appeal, or at least that different emotional appeal where you can uh, reinforce some emotion one emotional state and and maybe relax another emotional state if that makes sense i'm not a psychologist i don't know the right terms but uh, <laughs> that's the way i think of it sometimes on enmity it's not always emotional sometimes people see it as a tactic that i will throw a solo so that you know next time not to attack me it's a very cold and calculated uh tactical choice that they will show everyone they are a threat to throw a solo if you try and screw them off. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, the, the throwing a solo thing, um, yeah, that's definitely a, a mindset you do come across. Um, I feel like most, for most diplomacy players, that we, we don't really want to throw a solo. <laughs> it is kind of the, the last resort thing. We, we want everyone to believe that we will throw a solo, but we don't actually want, when it com really comes down to it, do you really want to do it? <laughs> um, so I think there's always that, that um, you can use that little kernel of, well, yeah, I want everyone to believe that I want to do it, but I don't, you know, in my heart of hearts, I don't really want to lose to a solo. No one wants to, you don't come into a diplomacy game wanting to lose, right? You don't want to get eliminated. You don't want someone else to solo. Um, so I think you can use that, but, but yeah, there are, 
there definitely is a situation where some people are like, I'm, I'm just going to teach so and so a lesson that, you know, I told them if they stabbed me, then, then Turkey would solo, and now I'm going to prove myself right and them wrong. That that's again a big emotional investment, right? Into, I'm, I'm going to prove them wrong, but show them that they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so. I'm almost at the end of my notes here. I did want to mention that I've been focusing on rallying the board to stop a solo more than anything else, because that's most commonly the time that you want to rally a board. But it's not the only thing you might want to rally the board for. Um, so I've got another war story I thought I'd throw in here. This was uh, many, many years ago, back at uh, Dragonflight in 2005 in round four. This is probably my most memorable time of rallying the board. And this was actually not to stop a solo, but to throw a solo. <laughs> so um, round four was the last round. I think there was a top board going on somewhere else, and I wasn't on it. Um, and something I was a two-center turkey for most of this game. And I... I was doing quite well in the tournament overall, but this wasn't my my board, obviously. And what I managed to do was I went to most of the players on the in this game, and I convinced them to throw Germany the solo because the way the scoring system worked, that would bump that one player up above all the rest of us, but we would only drop down one place in the tournament rankings. Whereas if the game was to play out and it was some kind of draw, some of us would go further down than that one place. We would lose more than that one place. So I basically managed to convince enough people that tournament rankings mattered enough. It was worth throwing the solo in this one game. And uh, the end result was that I ended up third in the tournament overall. So I, I, I achieved my objective there of getting in the top three of the tournament, despite the, my, that final board being a two-center turkey. Um, and that was, again, a situation where it wasn't everyone on the board that needed to be rallied. I did need to convince the person who we threw the solo to that she could solo. <laughs> but I think it was Austria was the one who was missing out there, basically, because it involved, basically, the agreement involved helping Germany into Austria's dots was, was how we were going to get this solo. Um, but I was, this was... Uh, I looked up the uh, supply center chart, and uh, it's quite instructive that um, I was talking to France, I think, and, and England, despite being in, in Turkey on a two-center Turkey, and I was able to convince them that well, they should throw the solo to Germany. So I'm not sure how I did it now, because it was 2005, and my memory is not that good, but that has to come down as a really good success of rallying the board, even if it was the end result was that I lost the game. So important thing to note, sometimes rallying the board is not about stopping the solo, but more often than not, I think it is about stopping the solo. <laughs> um, that's probably a good point to say, what other questions do people have? Ben, did you have any questions? Yeah, well, you were just talking about other situations where it's not necessarily a, um, a solo, and it, and it just occurred to me, you know, some of the scoring system value, systems value tops to such a great degree but I wonder if there's sometimes the ability to uh, rally against even somebody who maybe doesn't quite have this solo chance. Um, and then the second, you know, says a 17 center score could to change the um, dynamic of the tournament uh, that year. And or, um, you know, the other thing that happens sometimes is you're looking at you maybe you're in the east and you're looking at uh, an FG and England's dead and they're they're about to come towards the line and and the East kind of has to say, are we going to rally together or are we going to, you know, it might not be a solo threat because there's two of them. But anyway, so that just kind of occurred to me that like there's different situations. And I don't know if that's really a question, but I guess the, the question is, do you have any um, any thoughts on how things are different in those situations or does it all work pretty much the same way? Um, I, my feeling is that it is... Uh... It's a very good point, first of all. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but my feeling is that, yeah, it, I think it is more or less the same. I think it's it's possibly a little bit harder in that um, everyone understands that 18 is is really important, right? And everyone 
most of the players know where the main stalemate lines are and that kind of thing. Convincing someone that we need to stop someone else because they can get to 15 and top the board, the, the raying the board to stop the leader thing, that's, that's more difficult. I think, um, I think it's probably more difficult in North America than in Europe, actually. The, the fact that um, see, in Europe they tend to play C-Dipo and time-limited games means that they're a lot more um, conscious of the sort of balance of power play and a lot more um, willing to uh, even see someone who pulls one or two centers ahead as a threat and, some, and something that, needs, that people need to do something about. Whereas in North America, um, we tend to play time unlimited games. And yeah, even though some of these scoring systems really, if almost like if you're not topping the board, then it, you, you, your game was a waste, you know, it, it's just token points for everyone else. Um, we're not as good at seeing that and seeing what we can do about that. Um, yeah, I don't really have an answer for, for how you fix that or what you can do about it, but I, I do think it's a really good point. Um, yeah, the, you can use your, your point, your second one about, um, or, you know, the last thing you said about uh, when there's two strong powers on the, in the other theater and they're now at the stalemate line and crossing the stalemate line. Again, you can, you can talk stalemate lines to a lot of people and you can say, you know, once, they're, once they're across the stalemate line, then the, you know, it's much harder to, to then hold them at that point. Um, but really, you're almost playing up the, uh, think of them as a single power. Um, if that EF allowance was just England and they had all the same units, then then this is what this is the way I would I would be uh, trying to rally people to stop them. You can use very much the same things, the same arguments. I think um, it's not as convincing because the uh, one of the things I said up front was that in the rallying situation. Um, the stakes are often higher, and that helps you to a great extent, right? Because if you can convince someone that there's a solo threat, then most people, most of the time, will want to do whatever they can to stop it. But you know, convincing someone that England and France are going to get 20 centers between them, well, okay, so what? I'm still going to be alive. <laughs> it's, it's a little different. So I think it is a little harder in that situation. That makes sense, Ben? Oh, yeah, sounds good to me. Anything else we should be talking about? Anything I missed? Anything else I missed? Hey there. I think that um, re relevant to this topic, maybe, uh, or like a hidden subtopic, is rallying the board to stop a big threat in order to be able to solo yourself. Yeah. I mean, I did mention um, up front that... Um, the threat may or may not be real. And so one of the things that I was thinking of is that um, stopping the threat, even if the threat is real, even if there is someone who you know, has a path to 18, um, you can definitely take advantage of rallying everyone to your side to, to stop that threat. Um, and yeah, some of that... Uh, some of the sneaky stuff I talked about where you, know, you you offer lots in order to get people on side initially. And then once they've got that sort of emotional investment in um, working to stop France, then you can, with some of the details, you can arrange it so that in actual fact, it needs to be me that's taking Munich and, and my fleet that gets put into the, into Western Med or whatever it is, you know, um, so yeah, it's definitely something you can use to uh, to springboard into a, a better position for you. Whether it, you know, ideally a solo, obviously, but even if it's just even if it's a board top, you know, once you've you've got people working with you rather than uh, rather than against you, that's obviously a, a huge advantage. If you're leading a a five way alliance to stop someone else, then uh, yeah, if you play it right, you can do that. Um, People do tend to um, do often focus fairly narrowly. Um, 
if you've got them focused on that one threat, it's harder to see the secondary threat at the same time. And particularly if you if you do a good job of um, of putting those blinders on them so that they are narrowly focused on it. You know, your job right now is to make sure that you hold Munich because if we lose Munich, then they then they've got that path to the solo. So nothing else matters but holding Munich and stopping France from getting Munich. You know, and then the fact that meanwhile you're picking up three centres from in Italy is is sort of you try and keep that out of their awareness almost so it's not something that they perceive as being a threat they perceive it as being a good thing because it's helping to contain france um as 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 a diplomacy player you should always be looking for the for the advantages at, at it, and it's a trade-off right it's a it's a balancing act because um one of the ways you're selling the 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 stop the leader thing is by trying to make it feel cooperative rather than feel like you're telling everyone what to do um which means that you're in that situation where you're doing that subtle manipulation where you're trying to convince you're trying to arrange things so that your allies in stopping the leader are suggesting the things that you want to do right? so that when you're looking at well we need to get one of our armies into munich ideally you don't want to be the person saying well, looking at the tactics, it needs to be my army. You need someone else to point that out, ideally, because then it doesn't look like it's you manipulating them. Right? This is some very sort of 4, 4D chess stuff at this point. But <laughs> I'm much better at uh, theorizing it than actually doing it. Um, but yeah, you can, you can absolutely use uh, rallying the board as a springboard to greater things for your own game, definitely. And as a good diplomacy player, you probably should be doing that. <laughs> Anything else? It sounds like uh, we're pretty much wrapping up. Uh, Chris, thank you for your time. Uh, next week is round three of DixieCon, so we are not going to have a master class next week. In two weeks, uh, Dave Maletsky will be leading the master class at our usual time of noon Eastern. So come back in two weeks for a master. Uh, I'm going to hang out and chat with What's people. the subject of that? Um, but we're going to stop recording here. What's the subject of that next one, Natty? Uh, Maletsky is, uh, it is on um, identifying various types of players and, and how, to, how to use that information. Oh, there you go. That fits nicely in with this. <laughs>